0: you're listening to world building for masochists
1: and we're wondering why we still do this to ourselves
0: because apparently
2: we just can't stop i'm cass morris i'm rowena miller
1: i'm marshall ryan Maresca, and this is episode 105 we're going on an adventure We're beginning season five, y'all. That's we, a lot. We outlasted Star Trek Enterprise.
0: <laughs> From now on, all <laughs> milestones of time. In so units. Measured, and how many seasons of In which units kind of... of Star Trek?
1: <laughs> exactly. Which flavor
0: of Star Trek? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I
1: mean, that's, that's a that's a good metric to go by, I'd say.
0: <laughs> I think so. I mean, what is time anyway? Which we've discussed on more than one episode. And then, how do what you is measure? time? I think Star- if not Star Trek, Star Trek episodes, <laughs> exactly.
1: Brilliant, perfect, love it. So, how are we all? Beginning year five. What what have we What have we accomplished? What have we been doing? What are, What are we doing?
0: Well, <laughs> the blank stares of three people who <laughs> just attempted to think back over the last four years and remembered all the things that happened in those last four years and went, oh, oh, hell no.
2: Oh, so, no. oh no, don't don't open that door.
0: Trauma, trauma response. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we have had four fantastic years thus far and launching into year five now, and I think personally and and professionally have, have had good things happen, even in the years of plague and uncertainty. So... Despite Perhaps the not. years of plague and
1: uncertainty, we we, <laughs> in, we persevered and then kept doing cool things. In defiance
0: of
2: the years of plague and to, uncertainty. In
1: defiance of years of plague and uncertainty. Including, you know, multiple times where we got to be in the same place and, you know, record live episodes and be celebrated for apparently people actually like us, which still remains Huge shock. It's a mystery. Huge (laughs) mystery. This thing that did kind of start with me going, like, there's clearly nobody who thinks about world building as much as I do. (laughs) And
0: turns out there's a lot of people there's a lot who of think us. about world building as much as we do which has been i think the, the biggest highlight of, of the past four seasons of thinking to meet all of those people not all of them <laughs> a, a subset of them but both as guests on the show and um, our community on discord it's just it's a delight to see people geeking out in similar ways to how we geek out it's fun
2: yeah gosh if i'd been bright i would have like counted how many guests we've had in total in the first four years but i didn't do that but it's many it's many
0: it, it does seem math adjacent
2: so counting counting but it's so many we've had so many more than 60 i would guess because i do feel like it's slightly more than half the time we we have somebody amazing yeah. with us and it's been so cool it's been so great to to have them and get their perspectives on world building and so many of them come at it from such fascinating angles, whether it's just because of the way they approach writing in general or because of a, you know, other career they've had that has influenced sort of the way that they think about the world and the way that the things that they care about within world building. Um, I just love I love that we get to talk to all these people. It, I feel incredibly lucky. I feel like we're conning them in some ways. Like, yeah, <laughs> but it's so cool. And we've got so many more lined up already for season five, like we are booked out through the fall it's it's a it's just absolutely wild i i can't
0: yes yes say like fair warning we have like the summer of we do a thousand (laughs) guests coming up so i'm pretty sure yeah from now until until deep into september anyway we have guests every every other week we're gonna talk to someone new so look forward to that listeners that's gonna be fun
1: Sorry, I was doing math. It <laughs> looks like we've had about sixteen different people on this show That's so really far, cool. and and cool. we're gonna have at least ten more <laughs> yeah. over the next <laughs> over the rest of the the, the summer at least. We but yeah, we've got we've got some cool names. We've got a bunch of people who are been on my like list of cool people we should get. We have a couple people coming up who are like people I knew before they like. Who are on their journey to getting published, and now that their book is coming out, I'm like, finally, I can have we can get you on the show. Um, so that's really exciting for me because, like, it's always good to see people who are starting their journey and then getting them when they get to this point, and they're still dewy eyed (laughs) and fresh and haven't been broken by the system,
0: (laughs) they haven't been bludgeoned by. years of the millstone
1: publishing because this 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 is a buck wild business that we do and the only way to survive it i think is through community so that's why i'm always so thrilled to chat with y'all every other week and have all the deeply cool people that we have all the time
2: marshall are you are you saying are you saying yes are you saying that the real world building is the friends we made along the way?
1: The real world building is, in fact, the friends we made along the way. So I'm going to tag you in, Cass, because you look like you're going to burst <laughs> to say the thing. We we have a rather sizable yeah, announcement at this point. And, and
2: some of you who listened carefully like a year ago may have an inkling of what it is, because we actually sort of committed ourselves to it last year, or we committed ourselves to figuring it out, and now we're Actually, gonna
0: and then we're we about are to actually commit ourselves.
2: We're all looking at each other with terrified
0: faces because once we say it, we can't undo <laughs> it. We can't. No back No, <laughs> no, no takesy backsies at this point. So far, far in the in the history of the podcast, we had the inimitable Kate Elliott on, and over the course of that episode, we uncovered an element for our live world building on air world, which was the MNG. The magical nude gate a gate that would move between two locations in our world if you're joining us for the first time and move it people not
1: move a, itself
0: move people it, doesn't, <laughs> yes, it does not typically move itself but basically a portal between the worlds and uh, between the different locations within the world and there are big ones small ones hubs individual ones and it proved a tentpole concept for the world and we thought How many amazing stories would that launch? So we're going to find out at least a little bit. And
2: we are officially going to be kickstarting the yet unnamed, we're still working on it, but the Magical Nude Gate Anthology. It will not be called the Magical Nude Gate Anthology because we're pretty sure the word nude would get us in trouble with uh, spam filters and things like that. So we're coming up with a better title, but we're going to have it. By the time you're listening to this, because we're we're hoping to have it by the time we actually launch the Kickstarter, uh, which should happen concurrent to this episode. But of course, we're recording the episode a few weeks in advance, so we're not there yet. But we're gonna have an anthology of stories featuring the MNG, and I'm super jazzed about it.
0: And I think even even more fun is we have invited some of our friends of the podcast who um, have have guested with us and are amazing writers um, in their own right to write for the anthology. And we have some commitments from some great authors. I don't know if we want to share them now if we want to hold that back for later, but we do have some commitments for folks and we are going to open to slush as well. So if you listeners have been thinking about magical Newgate gate stories <laughs> of your own, um, maybe we'll have a little outlet for you. Um, so I'm sure we'll have lots more on all of that um, once we get that Kickstarter live um, and we are as we said looking forward to doing so concurrent with listening to this podcast so you could literally be right now at the Kickstarter right now right do now. it go right now right now future future you
2: see if I say that then we absolutely have to have the Kickstarter ready to go on June 21st exactly
1: see. This is sometimes how we make ourselves do it things, is. is by just saying <laughs> them out loud and committing ourselves. Do it I mean, forces
2: actually. future us. Five yeah. years ago,
1: we we said, we should do a podcast. And then it it happened. And now, we're, <laughs> so we're like, we should do an anthology. And so, to make it happen, we... We have to manifest it. We have to say it. Yes. And, then, and
0: by and by then. manifest we mean state it publicly and openly. take it publicly, so therefore, therefore <laughs> forcing ourselves to do the work.
1: Fear and guilt. So uh, great <laughs> motivators. It's true, it's true. <laughs> They're yes. my favorite motivators.
0: But of course, this is um, being funded via Kickstarter. So um, if you want it to happen, we do have to get it funded. So we we are we are committing ourselves, but we also are going to need. Um, our friends and fans to commit themselves to, um, so we really encourage you to share that widely. Um, we're really excited for what we're going to have um, published in that. So I'm sure that you are you are going to get your money's worth of fantastic nude gate stories. Yes, and you'll
2: be able to see on the Kickstarter and- we we will have there the breakdown of what we and expect our expenses to be and part of the reason for that and part of the reason that we're kickstarting it is so that we can pay everyone a pro rate uh that's really important to us don't work for free kids don't work for free we're not going to ask anyone to work for free we're not going (laughs) to let anyone work for free get paid and we want to make sure we can pay every contributor um to this so that's why we're we're doing the kickstarter and we hope that you will help us out with that
0: pay artists
1: Includes everyone who wrote the story, whoever we get to do yep. the cover, because we will get a human being yes. to do the cover. A
0: human being. We commit to using human beings on <laughs> every step of this, this process. Project.
2: Yeah, editor, we'll have we'll have it edited. Yeah, everyone, everyone will be a human, well, and they will get paid.
1: If there is an alien that wants to do it, <laughs> that's I will true. We shouldn't that. be prejudiced. Yeah, and they will yes, get paid. And
2: I apologize. <laughs> we yes, and we will, will pay you in Earth monies. I don't know what that's good for on your planet, but.
1: That, that's for you to figure if out. You can make you the know. exchange
2: rate. Yeah, if you can make the exchange rate, then I don't know what that is in gold press latinum. If right.
1: Venmo works on your planet. But other than that, yeah, we're going to we're gonna use living conscious beings for all aspects <laughs> of art and creation. I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited. You know? I'm excited to see where we go with this. Um, I'm excited. I, I got to say one of the things I'm most excited about is just seeing these stories. Um, because just the... The hijinks and adventure and emotional stakes and all all that stuff is just going to be. I know from the people we already have yeah. lined up, yeah, going to be amazing. It's going to be great.
1: I mean, should we? Should we? Since the the Kickstarter will name people, because we should probably we should probably drop some names. The names that, that I think, I have we, should. I think to... we
2: should. I think um, we should. because it's fun, the, people. there may be more. There may be more of them on the Kickstarter, because we may get some more people lined up within the next three weeks. But as of the time of recording. We do have six, six full commitments, which is exciting. Who wants to say the name? I mean, we can start by saying that we we can start by saying that the the wonderful Kate Elliott, who helped us birth this entire idea back in the beginning, will be part of the Kickstarter, which I'm just I'm so glad that she was able to say yes, because I can't imagine this Kickstarter not having um, a story from Kate in it. So that's really exciting.
1: Yes, we were of the opinion that even if Kate couldn't do a story, we were going to beg her to do like the, the intro or the... the an epigraph, or, anything, like yeah. anything.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but she said yes, so we're very happy. And we also got yeses from uh, Valerie Valdez, Mike Underwood, Victor Manibo, Marie Brennan, and Natanya Barron. So like all around, Woo! like, you know, it's just an absolute super group of... Of amazing people who who are all going to be part of this so far. And hopefully we're going to be able to add even more super cool names. Maybe even yours,
2: Woo. dear listener. And um, hey, instructions hey, hey. about the slush process will also be there on the Kickstarter. Yes. Um, so you may be seeing it even now in the future as you're looking it up.
0: Well, brilliant. I am, I am excited. This is going to be exciting. Oh, and you may be curious when you will be able to read this. Um, our hope and our timeline thus far is aiming for a release next summer. So a year from now, maybe we will be celebrating the launch of season six of the podcast with the launch of the anthology as well. So our hope is summer of 2024, you will have a magical nude anthology in your hot little hands.
1: Certainly. Our 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 ultimate goal is it'll be available at worldcon 2024 in glasgow which maybe we'll all be at maybe don't, we jinx, it. We don't. D- I, jinx it i said maybe i said maybe you
0: t- find, find something find something wood.
2: gosh marshall
1: maybe we won't maybe we'll Jeez. who knows who knows what the future will bring maybe it will you know we'll all be in sanctuary districts by that time <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> i mean i literally heard something on npr this morning that sounded an awful lot like it so yeah who knows
1: and we'll just be waiting for the bell riots to save us because that's september 2024 it's the same time
0: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> sorry deep into the deep space non geekery my friends <laughs>
0: So now that we have now that we have things to look forward to, that might be kind of fun to look back on four years of world building geekery and talk a little bit about what we have learned and what lessons we might pass along to our listeners um, and and ourselves, because we're all still learning. One question that I had for you guys was, I mean, we've we started this podcast four years ago. We've all been writing and working and learning since then. What is something that you've like learned or deepened in your own world building or explored maybe for the first time or more deeply in your world building because of or partially because of what we've learned and talked about on this podcast?
1: I mean, I know for me, I have absolutely taken the whole choose don't presume ethos to it feels almost egotistical to say to the next level, but I've I've implemented it <laughs> to higher degrees over the course of my writing. I mean, both um The Velocity of Revolution and Unintended Voyage wouldn't have been remotely the books that they became if it wasn't for doing what we did on this podcast and, and letting that like pry my brain open and and reconsider so many of the things that I had been doing, just as presumptions, and thus taking that and letting myself take those works into completely different directions and opening up the world-building possibilities within them, and with the the work in progress I'm doing now, I'll talk. I'll talk about, you know, I'm going to talk about that a little more later. But like it's, but it's just been an incredible thing of allowing me to not even allow enabling me to really push myself into way out of my comfort zones and create things that are in my opinion really cool but like mileage variants, etc
0: well that's true though i mean just that idea of like as writers for anything i think pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone usually yields better stuff right like you you, you push that a little bit further and a little bit further. And whether it's, you know, whether it's your prose or your plotting or your character development or your world building. And I think that that choose don't presume, it forces you to get out of your comfort zone. Like, why? Why is it like that? Why is it like that? It's like, choose don't presume is like a three-year-old following you around all day going, (laughs) why? But why? (laughs) And it can be really annoying, but it also helps you I think deepen and justify what you're doing, even if no one ever reads those justifications but yourself. You you have that like strong, you know, scaffolding built in. It's not just presumably. Why
1: (laughs) is it just a (laughs) patriarchal monarchy? But why is it (laughs) (laughs) why (laughs) Why is it just
0: (laughs) why (laughs) why can't we have a little matrilineage as a (laughs) tree?
1: But why is everything heteronormative?
2: I mean, that's a great question. Just,
1: <laughs> just in, in life. general,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and you know what? I think I think too. What's great about it is that it sometimes the answer is like I have a really good reason for that, actually. Like, but you have a reason for it, and I think that having the reasons for it strengthens not only your writing but oh, your engagement with the world. And the perception. it
1: forces you to explain it to the three year old.
0: Occasionally drives you mildly mad, but exactly, embrace your inner three year old is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I think allowing world building to be so much a process of discovery is is really fun. Especially for someone who, my instincts are often anchored in history. That's just who I am as a person. It's, I, you know, history at school, all those things. My instincts tend to anchor there. And history is more interesting than people let it Like, there's a lot of choose don't presume when it comes to history, too. Like, the things you think you know about the medieval era are not really what the medieval era was like because Victorians lied to you. But prodding myself further on that and looking at like, okay, but why did the history turn out that way? And what if this happened different? And seeing what that opens has been really, really fun. And just pushing myself further and harder on all of that. Not, not automatically taking the easy answer. Sometimes still ending up back at that same answer. If I go, no, that's really what what works, but maybe it's tied to something else that's completely different. But yeah, not not giving myself the easy way out, I think, has been something I'm continuing to push myself more and more on. And it can sometimes, you know, that means it takes longer sometimes (laughs) to arrive at a useful end product. And we'll talk about that later.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, one thing for me that I feel like I've learned in the past, you know, seasons of the podcast, all the guests we've had on, I think they've all approached world building slightly differently and all have focused on different areas as kind of like tent poles or have privileged some things above others in terms of where they start their world building or what they think is most important in terms of centering their world building on and it might change between different stories it might change between different worlds that they build but that there's so many starting points and that where you start is going to affect sort of the trajectory of of the world and the story and so much of it is dependent on like I have a character who is this within the world. So I have to figure out those things that they touch the most. And so I think I've learned from our guests just how interconnected character and world are. Um, and that's something that I think I thought about before, but I think about it even more now. And I think that I approach world building in an even more character-driven way because I want to know why this character experiences what they experience and why they perceive the world the way that they perceive it and why they you know why they exist within the world the way that they exist and a lot of that I really has been driven by just seeing all the ways that our guests have approached their own world building and where they start and how they how they build and seeing that they all write amazing stuff, it's like, obviously, there's no wrong way to do this. But they all are connecting it to character in some way. Like you see that when you when you you know, they'll, they'll either do it overtly, or it'll be something that you can see how it how it works for them. It's just it's, it's so cool. Our guests are so cool. <laughs> I've learned so much from them. And not only fun facts that I can pull out at parties.
2: Well, I think about character can be so much fun, too, because it can be a way of reverse engineering your world building when you're like, I know I want to have this type of a character, right? I know that I want the character to act this way, be like this. Okay, how did they get to be that way? What are the conditions that shaped right. them, that allowed them to be this way? And how much of that is is a function of them moving with their society and how much of it is a function of them going against the grain of their society? And the same character can have elements of both. There are places where you fit in more naturally, yeah. and there are places where you don't. And I think that's fun to pull apart.
0: Yeah. Well, and that intersectionality element, you know, I mean, we had a whole episode specifically about that, but so many of our guests have really touched on that concept of there's all of these different elements that are pushing and pulling on your characters. And in some ways they fit in with their society. And in some ways they reject parts of their society. And in some ways they're privileged within their society. And in some ways they are not privileged. And that can all be the same character can have these pieces that are all fitting together in different ways. And just one change from one character to another is going to radically change how they see and experience their world. Yeah, that
2: phrase Suya used, the the identity matrix is something I am definitely yes. taking and using <laughs> now and thinking it like I, yes, it's a fantastic way of conceptualizing a thing that I was thinking about but didn't have, you know, that kind of framework for and just ha- having that right. sort of thing is like, oh, okay, this becomes a structure that can help me think about all of these elements that I'm trying to include in a world.
0: So I guess on the flip side, what is something that you feel like maybe you had neglected in your world building or you hadn't really realized was as important or something that you, through the process of talking to all these amazing people, discovered like, oh, I need I need to like do more of that. I need to dig into that a little bit more.
1: I mean, I know a big one for me was always my, my clothing and aesthetic game. And like, I do think I've improved it. I mean, I, I'm still not like the deep researcher who can, you know, rattle off all the various, you know, parts of, parts of clothing within, but like, I do, it's forced me to think more about like, what is the fashion? What does that, what does that mean within the context of this world? And and what is this, what is this aesthetic? And
0: and I like that you link it, Marshall, to like clothing and that link to aesthetic. And like that that's there in some ways in service to aesthetic. And I was going to say, I mean, not not that there is not aesthetic in all of your books, but I feel like Velocity like nailed an aesthetic, like that had an that was... aesthetic. So clearly you have you have leveled up. If if you if you see yourself as that that was a goal, it it certainly Aww. hit that. And now Marshall's blushing.
1: <laughs> no, but like that was definitely like part of the goal with that particular book and with. And it is a thing that I'm constantly now striving to improve and hopefully, you know, one never masters these things. <laughs> but but like certainly for future projects, especially if aesthetic is a starting point, as we talked about in our episode with Mary Robinette, or if it's, you know, a huge part of what the book is bringing, especially if you're doing some sort of you know, a book that is more no plot, just vibes, then aesthetic is such a key part. And figuring out that aspect and how to express it, I think is so critical taking to the next level. And certainly the things that I have hopefully raised my game on, and you say I did. So that, you know.
2: Cass? I think, thing I've been working on a lot, and it's still hard and I don't do it in the first drafts. The first drafts are still messes. But something that the podcast made me realize I wanted to do better on and that I've been trying to do better on is the actual craft of communicating the world building within the book, synthesizing it into the story in more natural ways, in ways that don't feel quite so. And now I'm going to pause to tell you about the politics here. Like <laughs> It's just <laughs> like, and sometimes a little of that is necessary, but the craft of putting it more in taking it out of omniscient a little bit and putting it really deeply in the point of view character's voice when writing has been the thing that I've been challenging myself on and I think getting better at. If I use my mother as a marker, which I often do. <laughs> it was something she commented on in The Bloodstained Shade as compared to From Unseen Fire that that, that felt more natural. So yeah, that, that really that real craft aspect I think is something I've been Really pushing, really pushing for.
0: How much does someone need to know now, and in what ways? This was a recent episode, but we had um, krithika on, and she had said, "I just give as much as you need for now." And I was like, "Oh, that's really like I had never thought of doing that before." (laughs) But I, I'm finding myself realizing sometimes that's what I do, and sometimes it's what I need to do, Mm -hmm. like to say, Mm -hmm. "Okay, I don't need to tell you all of this now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna withhold a little bit, and then I'm gonna dole it out as you need it." And in some ways, too, noticing other writers um, doing that and how effective it is. I'm in the middle of um, Kate Elliott's The Keeper Six. And very fun book, by the way. I recommend it on a sunny porch with a uh, glass of rosé. That's my pairing for you. But it, but just perfectly doled out pieces. that so this is what you need to know in this moment. This is, you know, and then we'll get you through the next moment that you need to know something else. And it's just, it's just naturally woven in there. Um, so, yeah, that's... I agree totally, Cass, that that's <laughs> something I've learned as well. I think the biggest thing for me is that it's okay to take risks in world building. And because so many of my stories are deeply rooted in history, and so like the, the world is kind of written in some ways, but even poking back on that and being like, but why is it like that? And how are people actually reacting to that world, and how are they actually fitting into that world, even if overarchingly under the umbrella of the society it looks like that like is it really how the world functions for everybody and like the recognition that there are like microcosms within every world and kind of pushing that a little bit more and then in my fantasy elements of the world pushing that more taking risks there more And sometimes being okay with, like, I don't have to explain absolutely everything. Like, I have a tendency to get hung up on things, like, but how scientifically would this magic work? And being like, you know what? It's magic. Sometimes you can just be (laughs) like... Because magic. It exists because Because it does. (laughs) It just exists. You don't have to explain, like, where the magic originated within the physical universe or why it can do that. No, it just just does. It is. There are fairies because there are, okay? (laughs) Like, I don't have to... (laughs) dissect down down to the photon of the world you know like level why it would work like this
2: because the fae is an excuse i use in actual life so i think it works perfectly fine in and
0: <laughs> yeah i mean my children frequently like you know uh-huh. where are your shoes i don't know the fairies yeah. must have legit. stolen them legit i'm really really glad we have a household that believes in fairies great <laughs> thank
1: you i mean when you have items vanish and reappear elsewhere in the house or literally fall from the ceiling for no reason like you just accept this is a fairy house.
0: Fairies. Yes.
2: I think that risk-taking element is something I would like to push myself further on as well. And it has to do a lot with fear of the reception. Like, will, will this get readers? Will readers go along with this? Will an editor buy it? Will, will an editor think <laughs> that readers will go along with it and therefore take a chance on it?
1: Does this remotely work at all? <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, I think a lot of us across speculative fiction feel that and worry about that and and you know you see so many little graphics that are all about the tropes and it's like if i if i do something that isn't just a list of tropes are people gonna come with me on that journey i don't know are will they i hope they will our listeners will i think
0: <laughs> so that's would, you know i would like
1: to hope so <laughs> well and
0: and you know and and there is that element of like nothing you write is gonna be for everybody and I think that that is like a hard pill it to swallow is. that whatever choice you make, I want to be liked yeah, all yeah, the you, time,
2: you, you, Rowena, yeah. so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. But like whatever you do, you're going to turn some readers off. Like that's, and that's, and that's because you've appealed so well to some other reader. Like, you know, some, you like X, you don't like Y. I chose X. I'm sorry. That's just, that's just the choice that we.
1: I don't need, need. to be universally liked, but it would be helpful for at least to be widespread enough that, you know, you can get a lot of haters, so therefore, like That's if you true, get a lot yeah. of haters, you're probably doing something right.
0: You've succeeded somewhere.
1: As long as you also have a lot of people who love you. Like, you know, there's there there is a balance to Yeah, maintain. as long as
0: it's not all you didn't you didn't manage to like piss off the entirety of reader TikTok or something like that.
1: All haters except for all those guys who have their, you know, Twitter blue check and Profile pics that are in the car with sunglasses, you know.
2: Oh, I'm fine with those guys hating me. That's fine.
1: If it's all that guy who likes you, then you're <laughs> then in you're trouble. in
0: trouble. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's
2: no. I actively court their displeasure.
1: <laughs> yes. Sometimes some some people their hate gives you life. I'm for that.
0: But but yeah, Cass, I I totally see what you mean. That it's it's. And it's a hard thing to like overcome from a creative element too. Like I, I, I want to write this thing and then like the inner critic is going like, but will, but, but, will anyone else like that? No one else is going to like that Weirdsmobile shit that you're writing. And you have to like shut that down and be like, if I like my Weirdsmobile shit that I'm <laughs> writing, someone else will probably like my Weirdsmobile shit that I'm writing. And I feel like you talk to enough authors and they all have that inner critic saying, I'm the only person who's going to want this fill in the blank book. And it turns out, no, a lot of people want that.
1: I mean, that's, that's hopefully the, that your super weird niche thing that like nobody has ever thought of or wanted to do that, like somebody else will pick that book up and be like, finally, here's the thing.
2: Here is the weirdness I've been waiting for.
1: Here's what my soul has been craving, but I didn't even know that that's what it wanted. Like that's, that's hopefully where you're get, what's going to happen. But you know, who, who can say, but.
2: And one thing I'm really happy about that has changed a lot, I think, even just in the last decade, is the idea that um, a queer norm world can be a selling point and less of a risk, you know, Ron DeSantis notwithstanding. But there is enough appetite for that. There's enough demand for it. There's enough celebration of it in the sci-fi fantasy community now that, like, that doesn't have to be a risk that I have to really worry about taking um, in the same way that I did initially like that i chickened out of a few things or was editorially pushed away from a few things in the oven cycle because there was still that worry that that if it's too gay people won't read it and now it's like oh no people want the gay people want the gay stories (laughs) like there's a whole movement there's a whole thing we had the sapphic trifecta last year i'm hoping in the future to be part of a bi bonanza like that's what i'm that's what i want (laughs) Yeah. so other buy authors goals i'm with you let's let's try to all put out you know awesome books at the same time and we can make it a package deal <laughs> buy bonanza that have
1: that like est- aesthetically matching yes. covers that you can like then yes. you know put them in just buy sheer luck or... loot
2: boxes and things yes absolutely that's what i want buy bonanza i mean
1: time. truly to have that and it can have that like blue to purple coloring scheme that is you know the buy lighting. I mean, I'm for it. This is this well, is like CL
2: Polk's trilogy that that had the amazing buy covers. That was that perfect oh buy goals. Oh just yeah, perfect <laughs> buy goals. It was great.
1: The dark other side of this that sometimes plagues me is is this thing like we're doing all this work and coming up with all these wildly creative ideas of like how the world works and what makes this different. And there's a part of it's like, but do people do people want that like? Dare I say, like big commercially successful, still fits neatly in the simple boxes of, you know, somebody's D and D campaign with the f- serial numbers filed off, or you know, this map is well, just and- this map is just England. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and you know, I I feel like there's an element of readers readers are many they are, multitude. readers are, they many, they are multitude. multitudes. readers are many they're multitudes and it's okay if that there's right. still a readership that wants that and they're gonna get that and as long as there's a readership that wants that that's gonna get published too and that's okay that's probably not my reader they're probably not gonna want to read when i'm writing um but you know like cassie was saying there there's so much it's exploded. I feel like what people are interested in—not just if a world is queer or norm, but also like what what inspirations are behind the world. People love, I think different cultures, different mythologies informing a world. People are, I think, really enjoying just the variety that's out there. Um, And there's, I think, a a reader who is sometimes not the same reader as the reader who wants my D&D campaign with my serial numbers filed off. Um, And sometimes it is the same reader who wants that, also wants, or a different reader wants, I've never seen this before. This is awesome. This is like nothing I've ever seen. And that they're like craving that and they're going for that. And I'm seeing so much of that, which... I think it's fantastic and fun.
2: I feel like the publishing industry could do a lot by recognizing that sometimes those are the same person just at different moments. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you want yeah. the comfort read that's predictable. And sometimes you want the absolute bananas. I could never have imagined this because it's so wild because it comes from backgrounds. So unlike mine, because it's drawing from experiences I have never had and will never have because of who I am. Like, Sometimes you want that. Sometimes you're reaching out that and you can be the same, it can be the same person. So we don't have to put all of our eggs in the predictable basket. <laughs> like right. the same reader. Right. <laughs> As I got so excited, I knocked my microphone <laughs> over. The same reader can can like, when you're reaching the same reader, you can, you can play on both of those desires. Maybe not with every reader, but I think with more of them than publishing tends to give readers credit for.
0: Yeah, because I think publishing tends to imagine who is the reader for this and they imagine like, one particular idealized like reader sitting there and it's like I gotta say, it always delights me when I see that there are people of the male persuasion reading my books, especially my latest one, because it was very much marketed to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, it I mean, No Harm, No Foul, that's what it was. It was a (laughs) book about two female protagonists and And there's, there's, you know, time that I think appeals to And there's flowers on the cover.
2: That's just that's
0: there's flowers on the cover. Is what it is, but I love it when I see, you know, a guy or someone, you know, male presenting or with he, him pronouns in his Twitter profile or whatever, tweeting a recommendation for my book. I'm like, thank you, because (laughs) people can read outside the box that the publishers put the book in, you know? And I think there's so many of those that I've picked up books that, you know, either someone recommended it to me or whatever, um, that had a cover that made me think this is not for me. Th- this is you know an angry grimdark helmet with a sword <laughs> slash through it i'm proud this isn't the book and then i read it and i'm like oh oh this is this is actually yeah this was for me there are elements of this that were totally for me they just weren't the elements that the publisher chose to highlight and market and push the book toward because that's that's how that part works and and it is all to me that i do not understand which is why i am not in publishing marketing
1: I mean, to be fair, it seems that even the people in publishing marketing, they don't—they don't understand. Literally, according to some of the executives,
2: it's just random. They don't understand. Everything's random. We don't
0: know. We love all our books equally. I will never stop showing throwing shade about that deposition ever, (laughs) ever, and the fact that some of it is though some of it is a truly random. Like we're all waiting for our big biggest moment. (laughs) (laughs) So related to things that we've learned, things that we are still wanting to do better. When it comes to role building, you win some, you lose some. So I think we kind of want to talk about our wins and losses and how we facilitate the wins and how we recover from or otherwise ameliorate the didn't work quite as well moments. So there are those moments that just like work serendipitously well. You didn't realize just how amazing of a choice you had just made and then you get further into writing and you're like that, that was awesome and it set all these other things in motion and this is so beautiful and it's now like a tentpole for my world and i love it like a magical nude gate have you had those i hope i hope you have those
1: i mean i think a big one for me was when i i had already like in the early planning, came up with the thing in velocity revolution of you know the mushrooms letting people like link their minds and i had already had the aesthetic of like i want this to be a diesel punky y world and then i'm like well what if going faster makes the mushrooms work better because that's you know there i have plot justification for motorcycles and that when i like when that clicked in my brain i was like oh now like that was like that set off all the explosions in my brain so i think that
0: i that love that because was... it's like sometimes there are like those two like disparate things and then you like put them close to each other and it's like magnets <laughs> and it's kind of, like a... <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yes those two things do go together
1: and and the cool part about it for me and then in the reaction i saw once the book came out is there was a lot of people who wrote in reviews and such comments of like usually when you have like, magic and technology, there's sort of this thing of, like, that they have to work opposite of each other. But, it's like, instead, like, we have this magic where it works better because you're on a motorcycle. And it, like, lets you connect into radio frequencies. And, like, that's cool because that's, like, something different. I was like, yay, hey, they got what I was going for. <laughs>
2: yeah. For me, I think it, in the oven cycle, it was a lot of ways that I tied the magic to religion. Um just because in that society religion touches so many other elements of life and like it gave both me and the characters necessary escape hatches sometimes like it's like oh it's this because diana because diana that's why because this goddess that's why wanted this and therefore the magic it's works this feeling,
0: way feeling capricious yeah. one day and, and the
2: yeah. one of the big ones was uh, a a plot knot that i'd tied myself into in book three where basically i just did not have enough for one set of characters to be doing because this is the problem when you're writing multiple strands of plot line happening at the same time and one of them's there's just more happening there's more events transpiring in one half of the plot than the other it's like fuck i need something else for these people to be doing and i went back to the roots of the religion and was like oh okay the villain character can use this aspect of their patron god and cause different kinds of problems on purpose and now I have something for them to do and the evolution of that paid off in some really really cool ways in the the climactic sequence at the end of the book that I was so happy with just how the pieces of the magic and the religion all ended up fitting together Um, and weaving some of the history into it as well and it opened up this whole thing about like even how the characters in the world conceive their own magic and the idea that perhaps it is not exactly what they've been taught. Maybe it was different in the past. Can we recover how it used to be? And it opened up this whole new thing for me, um, which was just really fun and really exciting. And I like that. And I'm excited to keep going with it eventually in, in whatever format and whatever time I end up being able to do so.
1: You didn't have to have anybody trapped by a cougar to, to solve for time.
2: No, no 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 cougars it's like wait were there we no do. evil ghosts Checking. but no cougars
1: that was the infamous thing in 24 where, oh like, I never because saw like that. everything's everything was supposed to be in real time but they would have episodes where like really in terms of like the story we're telling like this character has nothing to do but like this the, so they the, just throw a cougar was, like, at them no What Like, literally, there was an episode where it's like, there is nothing for Jack's daughter to do in this episode. Like, really, ideally, she just wouldn't appear. But, like, they'd be like, no, she's, you know, this was still when it's like, no, if you have somebody in the main cast, they have to be in every episode. So she just had a whole episode where she was just, like, going through the woods and there was a cougar, and so she was afraid to move because of the cougar. And, like, that was her whole plot, that episode, (laughs) rather than just... You know, plate, you know,
2: you so. <laughs> know. Kudos to whatever writer found a way to fulfill that contractual <laughs> obligation without derailing the rest of their story. Like, good right. job, actually,
0: good job. So here's here's your writing tip for the day: just keep a cougar in your back pocket, hit a snag, pull it out, throw it in your story, fixed, done, guaranteed every time. You read I it mean, first.
1: It's. It's a good way, if you want a character to not be doing anything, have them just <laughs> be facing a cougar. Because you don't want to keep moving forward when you see a cougar.
0: I mean, I guess it's better than like, and then the character had a brief bout of food poisoning. <laughs> like, <laughs> so one one for me, that was a serendipitous win was when i was writing fairy bargains i knew i was going to have the concept of like leaving a little gift for the the fae and then they they give you what you want in return and then i was asking myself but why why do they want this stuff to begin with like what what value does this like small and it wasn't you know most of these fairy bargains are things like you know, a bit of ribbon or some glass or whatever. Like what, what is it? Like, why do they want this crap? And answering that question built the entire like fey world and magic and society was just all based on why do they want this crap? Um, So that was really serendipitous that I asked the three-year-old, but why question. And it's kind of like all went from there. It's like, because here's why. And it worked for once. It worked. (laughs) So what about the what about the flip side? What's something that you've you've made an attempt at that um, maybe wrote you in a corner, or you thought you made some small offhand decision that turned out to have major ramifications? And I guess also, how did you? how did you save yourself from it? Were you able to, to write around it or did you have to do a major bout of Bold
2: assumption you're making at the end of that question there, Rowena. <laughs> I was going to
1: say.
0: Bold
2: <laughs> assumption. Given,
1: given my best answer is in my work of progress yeah, and I feel very much I'm still in the corner.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The cougar's eating me. As we speak. And... <laughs> yeah, no, my, like, th- this is... The work in progress I've had for a while now that I've actually just had to put pause on because after like five attempts at starting it, I'm not getting beyond a certain point. And it's like, is the problem the book or is the problem me? I don't know. So let's try something else for a while and find out. Terrified that the answer is me, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. But one of the problems I'm having with that book is that this is the one that I've, I've based on you know, Shakespearean era London, but it's a second world. It is a queer norm world. It is a world in which I have been trying to apply some of the things that have come up in this podcast that I think are cool, especially when it comes to like family structure and relationships and things like that. And I'm trying to build in the idea of like different kinds of marriages and multiple marriages being possible. And like some of them are very, you know, affairs of the heart and some of them are things you do for procreation and some of them are very money-based and you might have same partner might be multiple of these kinds of marriage but or you might have some bonds that are just you know one way only or whatever but that is then colliding with other pieces of the world building and like needing to have when you do that it reduces your reasons why characters can't be together (laughs) like (laughs) and that's a major like point of conflict between two of these characters that they want it's a star-crossed lovers thing and it's like fuck but what's in their way okay so fine fine i'll throw class problems at them i'll just do that i'll throw class problems except it makes like it's i can't make that work together with other elements because i'm also trying to have a non monarchical society and you can still certainly have class elements in a non monarchical society but it's harder it's more complicated and once again you run into problems of like but what's the good enough reason why wouldn't the noble just say ah fuck it and if this actor character doesn't really care about societal norms why wouldn't she say just ah fuck it like i have i'm having to build in these other reasons and then it gets it gets tied up and then i want there to be magical puritans but why are they magical puritans why do they care and if this is like deciding how sex positive the society like it's queer norm but how sex positive you know like are they still repressed in some ways and i've been trying to make it about like it's about immoderation that's what the puritans don't like it's not necessarily the sex itself because I don't want to say sex is bad, but it's like the, the the moderation of sex. But then how does that fit into having multiple marriages? And I just, I it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I've tied myself in too many knots. And I have not been able to untie them. So, like, that's why that was a bold assumption. <laughs> I have not found my way out of this thicket yet. And I'm sure there are answers. And it may mean having to abandon some of my concepts in one way or another or simplify them or something. Maybe I need to go back to a, a more hierarchical society that is closer to, like feudal structure or something to make that element work to have the character dynamic i want to have and that kind of payoff that i want to have i don't know i haven't been able to find my way through it yet and that's why we're taking a little break (laughs) from that project
0: and i think that that is that is in fact a good strategy especially when the answer may well end up being a i'm going to have to abandon some of these ideas we're going to have to prune this like you want to get some distance to know you know but how do I really feel like I'm really attached to this vibe, but if I step away for a little bit and I come back to it, like sometimes I'm like, Oh, actually that's not as important as I thought it was. And I need to like readjust my expectations because yeah.
2: There's a contention between like, is it that these ideas are just incompatible or is it that I'm just not a good enough writer to do it yet? Maybe like, am I just not leveled up sufficiently to figure out how to make it work? And maybe that's, the case maybe that's what's going on or maybe there is a way through maybe some of these ideas just need to be saved for a different project but it's a weird it's a weird emotional space as a writer to look at your at what you're trying to do with that lens
0: and it is hard too because i feel like the reality is almost any like you can never fit everything you want to do into any one project and it's like it doesn't matter how good of a writer you are how you know how long you've been doing this there's always going to be that like ah, i really wish i could have done this in that and it's like well no because because limits of time and space yeah if nothing else and again
2: thinking about like r- reader appetites and stuff because there's there's such a yeah a drive in the fantasy genre right now for non-monarchal societies as though to write a monarchal society is to support a monarchal society and say that this is a good thing and it's like sometimes it's like no but sometimes that's just how society like that's they develop that way for a reason. Um, a society that has had a lot of instability is likely to create something with that more kind of rigid structure. Sometimes that just happens. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that that's a form. That's a shape that society takes. And it suits this story. That doesn't mean I'm advocating it. But right. it's a hard thing to know that, like, to know that that's a thing that will be in reviews. You know, <laughs> it's just hard to to wrestle with that, like we were talking about earlier.
0: Especially when you very especially when you very intentionally include the critique of the society in the story in some way. It's <laughs> obvious. Anyone should be able to tell that you're like, This is not great. I am not putting my stamp of approval this on the This causes society. problems. And the you'll... problems are in the plot. <laughs> this story would not exist without the problems that the society created and yet still you will get a review that's like i don't really get why they think that monarchies are good like (laughs) rowena are you
2: speaking from experience
0: here (laughs) yes yes i am
1: (laughs) well they might have solved the problems of the plot they didn't actually solve the problems of society
0: and because you didn't solve
1: society at the end
2: no therefore
1: you're endorsing like No, no. I mean, but I do feel at the same time, like, this is, like, what I feel is, like, the dark side of Choose Don't Presume. It's, like, once you start, like, like, well, I have to choose about this, I have to choose about, like, then you can just, like, snowball yourself of, like one of those cheeseburgers like it also has bacon and it also has caramelized onions and it also has pulled pork and it also has macaroni and cheese and it also has an entire Caesar salad. (laughs) It's like you don't need all of that on a cheeseburger. Thank you. That makes it impossible to eat. Like similar to Cass in in my work in progress, I have like made these choices that I think, I think they fundamentally work, but at the same time I've developed this sort of like sex positive culture, partly just because i wanted my main characters to like have at the beginning just a one room apartment with one bed and it's two men and two women that they just are all just sleeping in the same bed because that's all they have and they're just friends who just share the same bed and so it has nothing to do with romantic or sexual relations at all it's just they have only one bed and that's like that's also they have like only one bed, kind but it's not of normal <laughs> <laughs> but it's not yeah. the trope. Like, but not that's really. There's only that. It's just it's just what it is. But also that like societally that's normal, and so thus I created this whole thing where sex just is supposed to occur in a different room than the bedroom. Like you know, like if you have a big house, you will have a dedicated room. If you like they do, are in an apartment complex, where it's like their their apartment is literally just a room with a bed, and then there's like. The, the shared washroom that has the showers and there's a shared kitchen elsewhere and there's a shared sex room. the like, if that's what you're going to, like you go to use that and you don't do that in your bed because gross <laughs> like, like, is, is the mindset. And, but at the same time, this is not a book about the sex culture of this world. And so just by simply putting that they're all sharing the same bed and then like, Well, I have to explain why that's not about sex.
2: (laughs) And then suddenly the story becomes about that, even though you don't want it to be about that.
0: About that.
1: Right. And so it's like, now I've made this choice, which fits for this world, but for this book, it's creating this extra on-ramp stuff that is necessary, but at the same time, like, not what this book is about. And, like, if I had just made this, like, normal heteronormative world like I wouldn't have to do that and like why did I do that to myself at the same time when this isn't a story in which non-heteronormativity like I like that I have a sex positive non-heteronormative world but at the same time like if I had just done that it would have been easier <laughs> yeah
2: i mean that's i feel so it's a lot of the same stuff i'm facing because like if i just gave this society the same Social norms and the same morality basis as Shakespeare in London. My life would be much easier. I could write that story much faster. But I don't want to do that. Like I, it's, right? It feels like it feels like. A why can't out. they be together? Yeah. Because they're
1: both girls and society doesn't like that. Like, but like no, it's super
2: easy. But that's not the story I want to tell.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah, the same thing. Where I feel like I solved one big snarl where I had this like major thing about how sort of like the magic that is sort of like technology but also sort of like deeply deeply terrible at the same time like how it works and like finding a way to introduce that as i was initially writing it just seemed so clunky and then i was like wait i can take this other character and just make them a point of view character at the beginning and boom that solved that mm-hmm. and then then these elements of the world which mostly affects people of much lower class. If I just have a much lower class person be one of the point of view characters, ding, solved that. The thing with this world is I have three big like tent poles that seem like they have nothing to do with each other, but do work in concert, but like the on-ramp of how to, how they work in concert is, it still plagues me. I mean, but that's the sort of like. I don't know if this is necessarily an oops, but it is a like. I have just made my like. I'm making my life harder, and why? Like, will this? Why? And, it, and it goes back to this, like.
0: Because do do because this is why this we do this because this ourselves. is why we do
1: this to ourselves.
0: And <laughs> once we get it, like once,
1: <laughs> we solved it, people. Okay. Once we get there.
2: <laughs> the payoff will be amazing, and we will be so glad that we didn't take the easy route. Right. It just takes a while.
1: It just takes a while. But also there is that like niggling voice that says like but most readers want the easy route. Most readers don't, you know. And yeah, I'm I I I too crinkle my nose at this at this point, but it's still when when I think about the the plagues of the publishing industry as opposed to the creative part, like that's that's the part that keeps me up at night. That that we're doing all this work to make thing something that is less marketable <laughs> rather than more.
2: So what have you ballsed up, Rowena? <laughs>
0: so save us. A lot. A lot. Um I, actually I think one of the one of the funnier ones was actually more of a research issue than and like a historical reality issue than like a world that I built problem. But um, in fairy bargains, divorce and divorce laws play kind of a major role. And to make it fun, uh, divorce laws changed a lot in um, America over the course of the 19th and into the early 20th century. But you hit us a, a point basically where most states, all the states are different, too, which is really fun. Most states had moved beyond um, adultery being the only grounds for divorce but we didn't get to no-fault divorce until like the 70s at the earliest in most states and some states held off for a really long time after And
2: that. some states are trying to go backwards
0: <laughs> yeah. bring it back yep and so i had this problem of i had originally plotted the book out that you would have a major fairy bargain taking place in order to affect legislative change And as I dug into actually, like, how, when these laws changed and what places, I was like, well, none of these would work. Like, there's none of these that would actually work to have a shift because any place around the setting of the book, like, for example, New York kept the adultery-only divorce law well into the 20th century but all the midwestern states in the book set in the midwest had basically had you could have for um, the, the big coup was for cruel treatment mm-hmm. what they called cruel treatment which basically meant if someone was um, an abusive ass you could file for divorce and either a partner could file for divorce which was the big change in england up until the mid-19th century was that only the man could file for divorce then you had the divorce act which meant that the woman could file for divorce too. Um, So basically the timing of all these changes did not take place in accordance with how I want, I wanted everything else in the world to work because I wanted this moment of like technological advance and societal change that really was like turn of the century. So I was like, I really, I can't, I don't want to go backwards and set it at that time. I obviously, I really didn't want to like have a, you know, 1970s that story. So I was like, okay, I have to replot this part of the book because the world does not fit what I want to do with it. Though I did discover the fun fact that Northwest Indiana was a divorce mill in like the 1870s, 1880s, which is- Is that like the opposite of Vegas?
2: Like roll on through, get your your drive through divorce.
0: I love that. Yes, it was a drive through, because the surrounding states still all had um, either adultery or adultery and abandonment were the only reasons for a divorce. So you had to prove adultery or prove abandonment. And, um, Indiana had cruel treatment as a reason for divorce and did not have a residency requirement. So people would just like pop on over to like the first county into the, from Chicago and get their quickie divorce. And New York held on to the adultery only for so long that people came up with a scam where they would, um, fake an affair in a hotel room and then have a photographer catch them in like, like 1900 they'd be like oh see oh darn she was cheating cheating on me i don't know don't know so they, <laughs> that would be a funny story too i think someone needs to write that story of like
1: i am reminded my great great grandparents apparently had to like tried to get divorced several times and like the state of connecticut <laughs> just was like nah um <laughs> Like literally, like they.
0: You're fine. You don't need. To <laughs>
1: literally, like <laughs> we have both committed adultery. We are fucking other people. I
0: a lot went <laughs> to
1: prison
2: because
1: I tried to murder the man who she was fucking.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna keep let doing that go. if I have to stay married to her.
0: <laughs> I will continue to cause and the, problems. And
1: the judge was still like,
2: "It's
0: like, nah, the, I'm not convinced." They're Telling the judge, like, you either give me the divorce or I'm going to be back here on a murder charge.
1: (laughs) He's like, yeah, but now that guy is in prison because he attacked you the day you got out of prison. So, like, maybe you two kids should try and work it out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that was where I eventually settled on fixing that plot problem, was that you did still have to get a judge to grant Mm -hmm. the petition, so... I made that the crux of conflict. I really law, like the permitting. idea that
2: American law was more complicated than fairy law. <laughs> like that's just yes, <laughs> yes.
1: The fairies look at him like Jesus. That's, Dang, wish we thought what of that. God, <laughs> that's,
0: that is that is labyrinthine. Well done. Those well humans done. are nuts.
2: <laughs> Golf claps for the humans, everyone. Golf claps for the humans. <laughs>
1: Like, we, we really need to hire some human lawyers next time we really want to trap somebody. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. You know, I know some people. Well,
0: I hope sharing <laughs> our tales of triumph and woe. Have it just occurred to me. Inspired uh, our listeners in some way.
1: Like, why did I just think of a sequel title for Fairy Bargains? And said, like, the sequel can be the fairy contracts. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know, yeah, because the fairy bureaucracy <laughs> of Prospect <Fred> Hill probably <laughs> the, one of the
1: readers. That's the third one.
0: The fairy IRS of Prospect <laughs> Hill.
1: Oh man, the fairy bureaucracy. Actually, I think the fairy bureaucracy of Prospect Hill. Like, I think, I think you would hit that that sweet audience spot. Like, it, would, it wouldn't be big, but the people there would be people You're would just really like, delight.
0: There's, there's twenty of them, but they'd really be happy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and sometimes it is just that, like writing that book. For those twenty people to make them really happy, which is apparently my career. <laughs> um, but someday we'll all get our biggest big moment, but you know Someday.
2: If we're very good. if we're
1: if we're very good, very good. If we make the right bargains with the right fairies. The spirit
2: of big <laughs> If we
0: if we will bestow upon bounty the upon us. Well, it's been a fun Whee! four seasons, y'all.
1: It really has.
0: Don't forget to go check out the Kickstarter. Looking forward to season five and check out that Kickstarter.
1: Because we're going to do all sorts of fun things.
2: Clearly, we can't be stopped.
1: Hi, you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode, we're joined by MJ Kuhn, author of Among Thieves, to talk about bringing light into dark worlds. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including Rowena's latest, The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, Cass's Avon Cycle, or everything in my *Meridain Saga*, links to all of that information is at our website at worldbuildingformasochist.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.